0: You're listening to World Building for Masochists,
1: and we're wondering why we do
2: this to ourselves. Um, you know, because no one wants a hired blade anymore, and so fencing just doesn't pay the bills. I am Cat Howard.
1: <laughs> I'm
3: Rowena Miller.
0: I'm Marsha Ryan Moreska.
1: I'm Cass Morris, and this is episode 104, riffing on the real world, not the MTV show.
3: Well, welcome back, listeners, to episode 104, and we are so excited today to bring Kat Howard on the show. Kat, nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. (laughs) Um, Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners and maybe
2: telling us a little bit about your work? Sure, of course. Um, My name is Kat. Um, I am coming to you from the lovely city of St. Paul in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. I write mostly fantasy. Um, That's what my latest book, A Slight of Shadows, is. It's the Sequel and conclusion to the Unseen World duology that started with An Unkindness of Magicians. I also write short fiction. I have written comics. I wrote um, the books of the reboot of the Books of Magic for the Sandman Universe. Uh, My Cats Boss Me Around. Um, that's kind of the nutshell version.
0: I think a good 90% of authors can say, Cats Boss Me Around.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're completely in charge, and there's, there's no question. As we should all probably just admit, those of us who
3: have furry, furry bosses living with us.
2: I think it's why I can't get anything done right now. I'm
1: I'm catless for the first time in like 24 years, and oh, I no. think it's why I'm useless. Oh, yeah. I, I don't have an I don't have an over <laughs> I don't have oversight. Yeah, exactly. There's no supervisor. There's no supervisor. oversight.
3: There's no. You need to speak to the management, but there no one's sitting no in the corner it's judging just, me. Like, yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, the judgy face is real.
1: I had a calico for a very long time, so like. The judgment you get from a calico so is you know. unlike judgment from any other creature on
3: God's earth. <laughs> like, <the laughs> judgy, judgy. I loved her so much. Well, Kat, tell us a little bit more about, about the duology, about the unseen world, um, because that probably leads into a little bit some of the stuff we'll talk about today, but I would love to get our
2: listeners um, one more thing on there to be red pile. So
3: okay, sure. let us know
2: more about it. <laughs> So it starts with um, An Unkindness of Magicians, um, and the books take place in a New York City, which is very, very akin to our own modern New York City, um, except for the fact that there is a secret hidden enclave of extremely wealthy and powerful magicians that call themselves the Unseen World. Um, In An Unkindness of Magicians, the story is structured around what's called the turning, which is a usually once in a generation sort of magical duel series that happens. It starts out really nice and civilized. Someone described it as um, cocktail parties with magic duels. And and yeah, it was kind of a lot like that. And then it ends up with the duels are to the death. And so you're killing the people that you went to high school with so that you can get power and status. It's maybe not the healthiest world to live in. (laughs) Um, And... In the course of the turning, there the really nasty secrets of the unseen world um, come to light and are what seems like dealt with. An unkind or excuse me, a slate of shadows starts very close in time to the end of an unkindness of magicians, and we learn that the secrets weren't dealt with quite as much as everyone thought that they were. Um, they are coming back, and there are other assorted problems. Um, lots of murders. There's very, very murdery books. Murdery, murdery. So okay. Pleasant.
3: Yes. It sounds like so much fun. And I know that we'll get into more later, not just murders, but all the sorts of things that you can throw in <laughs> to a fantasy world when you're building on the real world. Um, murders being only one.
2: Exactly. So,
3: <laughs> one thing we like to ask our guests when they come on is like, what do you enjoy doing with world building? Like, what do you love to play with?
2: Um, I think, you know, I was thinking about this and I think that my answer is, is that what I really love is the small details. I love world building on a micro scale. So like when I'm thinking about like magical duels or something like that, I'm not thinking about what are the, you know, overarching rules of this kind of magic or this sort of society that makes this duel. I think of it as what does it feel like in this moment to cast this particular spell? You know, how does how does it feel for the magician? What are the people watching, seeing or hearing or anything else? You know, what does it look like? And and being able to sort of get down to that that really gritty level of detail. That's what's fun for me. Um, the same thing with describing setting or something like that. Like, you know, I what I want to see is like the fabric on somebody's dress or the scent of the dinner that they're eating or, you know, that sort of thing. And so just really focusing down on small things. Um, and, you know, and, and I like to have, like, a lot of really rich and vivid detail um, in there. And so that's that's really the most fun part for me, I think.
3: That Sensory, tactile, like... Yeah, really, yeah. And it's fun, to, it's fun to write and it's fun to read, too. I'm sure that that is something, you know, we all want to make our readers live in a world and sometimes it's those details that make it feel real right, and present right. and... Like, you can really dive into it. That's awesome. So we're, we're talking about riffing on the real world. Like, what is the real world anyway? Other than a um, beloved Gen X uh, reality show. <laughs> um, the original for, for you, the,
0: Gen X reality
3: show. The original. The original. For you, Kat, that was New York, right? For right, um, right. For these two books.
2: Have you ever dabbled in any other real worlds? Um, I uh my first novel was set mostly at a uh uh a writing um like a, not a writing but like an artist retreat like a mcdowell or a yaddo kind of colony um in new hampshire um uh mostly because that was sort of where i was living at the time and i i was just like oh this seems like a place where maybe the fae could hang out yeah. i like i like having um I like having sort of our world, real world settings um, for my books because I really like imagining magic as a possible thing in this world. And so, you know, what is the real world anyway? So for me, it's it's just you know what 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 exists, what what. And I I tend to in in my real world settings, I tend to hew pretty closely to real world as it is, like in the unseen world books. I feel like I didn't really change anything in New York City. I just kind of moved it aside a little bit to give the magic in there a space to exist rather than saying, oh, I need to pull something out. It was just, I'm going to add something in to to what we already know, to what already exists.
3: That's so cool, too, because I feel like when we're talking about, you know, fantasy that's based in the real world folds in the real world. There's like all kinds of different angles you can take with this, you know, mm-hmm. from, like you said, hewing very close to the real world to even second world fantasy kind of on the opposite of the spectrum that um, like just takes inspiration very closely from something in the real right, world. So there's a lot of play that you can kind of have with that. Um, I mean, Cass, I would say that you, you definitely have done yeah. that. Take, <laughs> take, take Romans mm-hmm. Add and, magic and-, <laughs> and see, see, and yeah. shake and and, <laughs> and very close to it's, Rome in many ways, but you, you play with it in other ways. I did. Too. And
1: I I've, I've veered further from the actual history in terms of like events, which is why there's not a Julius Caesar in the in the books. There's not a Cato. There's not, you know, these people, there are characters who look like them and think like them because they are still products of the same like cultural soup. It's just a cultural soup that also has magic. And this, honest to God, it came a little bit out of laziness. When I was very first starting this project, I was thinking about the world. Like, I wanted to be classically inspired. And I was trying to draw my own map. And I just kept coming up with things that looked like Italy. And I was like, you know, the world's given me a perfectly good map to start with. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should just leave it there maybe i should just do this in a version of our own embrace. history. yeah and i did and <laughs> lean into it. it it worked well for me and it opened up a lot of possibilities for me in like just thinking about like when i flick this domino inside an existing structure then what happens how does it mm-hmm. how do i get that crowbar in there right and how do i make the magic fit into the law how do i make the magic fit into the religion and ancient rome was a place that believed in magic anyway i just literalized a lot of it and gave it a different structure but yeah, working with the real history gave me so many good building blocks to play with, and and it was really fun.
2: And I love I love what you just said about it being like a yeah. soup. You know, I think of it as, as as like what what world does what do I steep my yeah. characters in? But I think it, I think it, I think it, I think we're talking about a lot of the same thing. Is you know, you you put these mm-hmm. circumstances and you put these cultural beliefs and you put these things here and th- this is these are the kind of people that are going to come out of that. This is the kind of society that's going to come out of that. And, you know, we know these things, so why not use that?
1: And it's like, that's how they respond. I'm always so interested in how people respond to and use levers of power and pressure. And in this case, magic just becomes another one of those. It's people view it the same way they view, like, military power or things like that. It's just a different tool that some of them are going to use and some of them are going to try to undercut. Mm -hmm.
3: What do you think that some of the unique challenges are um, with working with the real world as a base, whether it's a template or whether you're actually like I'm writing about Chicago, but it's got werewolves or whatever it is, right? Like, what do you think the unique challenges are to doing that? I feel like Chicago might actually have werewolves. It probably does. Actually. It has coyotes. Yeah. It has it has like they've been tracking coyotes in Chicago. It's very cool. There's a National Geographic article. I should link it later. So they are there where coyotes? coyotes? <laughs>
2: Wear tightens are entirely possible.
3: (laughs) Marshall, we
1: got to stop doing that?
2: (laughs) A little bit more seriously. For me, like one of the biggest challenges, I am so bad at directions. It's not even funny. Like I can get lost anywhere. It's like a specific talent that I have is for getting lost. If you would like to go to the wrong place, you should let me drive the car. Um, and so in trying to do anything that is like, how long does it take someone to get there on the subway? Does the subway even go there? Uh, where is north? You know, like, forget it. I'm, it's going to be a mess. Um, I remember at one point, um, my, you know, like for, for some project that, that wound up not happening, happening, I was asked to draw a map and I, I can't tell you how long I laughed. Um, and then I tried, and then and, and this was something that was being spoken about at IqFA. And so I was like, I will pretend draw you a map right now. And uh, poor Charles Vess, the artist, is like watching me draw this map, and at one point says, "You have five norths there." <laughs> and And that was sort of what you know it made, and I wasn't trying to be funny or anything. like I was not trying to do a joke map. I was trying to like make a, an actual map. Um and at that point everyone was like yeah okay so there's not going to be a map from cat anyway <laughs> and, 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 but and that's sort of like that's how I am with anything and so like even even like where you know in in these books like where are the houses in relationship to each other I don't know. <laughs>
0: I mean, that can be one, I mean, just one of the big challenges like, yes, with you doing in the real world, if you need a map of like what it looks like, you can Google that and it's right there. But at the same time, if you get it wrong, your readers can Google that and it's right there. (laughs) Let alone if for them, it's something they know intimately. I mean, this is of course not, you know, fantasy, although it kind of is, but I regularly watch, um... Nine one one Lone Star, which is set in Austin, which is the city I live in, but the Austin that this show is in bears very little resemblance to <laughs> to actual Austin, in part because it's mostly shot in California, but just like the way like in so many levels, the the inauthenticity of the Austin of, of this show just boggles my mind sometimes. But it's also I find it deeply amusing at the same time.
3: Yeah. Yes, there there so, is that element of, yeah, someone someone will notice if you <laughs> mm-hmm. put, put the wrong, you know, someone's going to notice you put the wrong cross street in there, let alone if you, like, have mountains in the background of your right. Western <laughs> cornfield or something. I mean, someone's going to notice. Yeah, it's
0: like, there's usually not mountains. There's times where they'll, like, actually, like, show the map, and it will be like, you know, if you didn't show the map, this would be more realistic. But, like, since you told us... <laughs> <laughs> exactly like you showed a real map and then like showed nonsense on the screen like why 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 did you just, just skip <laughs> that part why
1: did you make
3: this just... choice <laughs> right yeah. well it kind of raises the question of like how much hand waving right can you get away exactly. with can, if you yeah. don't show the map there's probably more hand waving that you can get away with because someone might not question is this where is this really but as soon as you start putting like you put the flags in the map and you start making it real it's, there's less hand waving that you can get away with I totally will cop. I 100%. One of the reasons that Fairy Bargains is set in kind of like an every town, Midwestern city is partially because of that. I was like, oh God, the idea of tracking down. If I want to pick a small town and then get everything right in it, like that stuff's all gone. Those Mm -hmm. maps are trashed. It's if I can find it. I also, for thematic reasons, kind of wanted it to feel like every town. And so there's elements of different cities mashed together and things like that. But but yeah, it's like if you... If you don't hand wave it, then some someone will find your flaws.
0: There's a long literary tradition of making up a fake small town and and having.
3: Yes, <laughs> I was I was like leaning hard into that like kind of our town <laughs> element of it.
0: But yeah, like when you're inauthentic, the inauthenticity shows. I'm reminded there was a movie I saw a while ago that it's set in Manhattan, but it was like made by Australians, and <laughs> it's fascinating of like the New York City in their mind because like the main character lives in Manhattan and is an air traffic controller who rides his bike into work every day. I'm like, you cannot ride... That is
3: impressive. (laughs) It's like, it's
0: (laughs) like, just just, just a little, just quick bike ride over to JFK. You know, as you mm, do. (laughs)
2: That's... It's like... Yeah, even even
3: I know that one is no. No. Again, unless this is a major... Like <laughs> point of character development that he's
0: yeah, unless he's like I'm and training thus begins for, a, my for the marathon
3: bike, race. bike ride. <laughs> and in his other life, he he, he bikes the Tour de France. Like- Either that or it's a, it's secretly
1: actually an alternate reality where JFK is like in the middle of Central Park instead of. <laughs>
0: Right. Where it
3: actually,
0: is <laughs> <laughs> which maybe that's what they thought. It's like it's it's right. It's in New York City. Yeah. it's right over there, right?
2: <laughs> Must all yeah. be just right. There. I mean, and that's and that's the that's the thing too with with you know you, you, what you were saying about you know the film and and the idea of the the strange idea we get of New York. The thing about about New York is we also because it's a city that shows up so often in film and literature and you know everything. Like for me, it was like okay, people are going to people are going to feel like they recognize this place even if they've never been there they're going to they're going to have an idea of what new york city is and and it might not match up exactly or anything else but i think working with that sort of that sort of thing does some of the world building work for you also is if you have this really known quality you know it, it, it sort of helps with the hand wave you can say you know we're going to we're going to do this or i'm going to show you this iconic image or this particular thing and and people are going to do your reader is going to do a lot of work of filling the blanks in for you if you have some place that's that's well known or that it's not quite like it doesn't have an every city quality you can't say oh this is just like any other big city because we know it's not but it also has because it has that cinematic quality because it has that you know pop cultural quality you know, it almost feels like it could be. There's a level to it that that is the real city, and then there's the level that's what we think the city is. And so you can work in that sort of idea of what we think the city is in your story as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, the reader is going to layer in their myth of New York No matter what you do anyway. So, you know, you might as well play with that knowing it's going to happen. It's funny. We
1: talk a lot on this show about, you know, the on-ramp that the reader needs when they're learning your world and learning Mm -hmm. the world building. And I think when you're using the actual real world, whether it's present day or historical in in whatever fashion, the on-ramp gets both easier and harder in some ways. It's easier because they do have that touchstone, Mm -hmm. like, right? They think they know the thing. But it can be harder, too, because pe- what people perceive as reality is not always really reality. And I think about so many things set, you know, yeah. in ye oldie medieval times. And it's like, the medieval era was a lot more complex than people tend to give it credit for. There was a lot more variety. There are all these things that, like, people might think they know what, what that looks like, but they don't really. My editor initially had an, an idea about Rome that I think she mostly got from watching Caligula. <laughs> and I had to be like... <laughs> no that was not normal <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> those were not normal roman <laughs> mores and ways of existing that was not how that went um no so like, oh, that's you, you marvelous. have to prepare either way for like <laughs> teaching your reader what what reality actually looks like and then also where you've diverged from reality in in key ways
3: Mm-hmm. And I I think in some ways too, like accepting the fact that there's inevitably going to be a few readers who are not going to agree to come along and be educated. No. no. (laughs) And you can't do anything about them.
0: But I'm also thinking about the idea, like Imperial Rome, like is a concept that spans uh, several centuries. And so like, even what's true at one point is not true in another point. It'd be the difference of writing a story set in New York City. Yeah. In 1776 yeah. or 2020, you know, it's <laughs> Those are going to be... different be places. A difference. Yeah. <laughs> the, yes. <yeah. laughs> Time is most a factor in setting something in the real world of where it fits in. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, if you set something anywhere other than the contemporary, suddenly it kind of does start to feel like a different place. Because, mm-hmm. in fact, it is a different place. So, so far, though, <laughs> we've kind of talked about the... Um, potentially inadvertent um, changes that we might make to the real (laughs) world. But what about the ones that we mean to make? Like, how how much can you get away with changing the real world? Or is
2: it all in how you do it? I honestly, I'm definitely in the camp of it's all in how you do it. I think that you know, as writers, we have a lot of different tools and we can get away with making huge changes as long as they make sense within the world of our story and that we do them with confidence, you know. If, if it's sort of like a, well, maybe this thing is a little bit different, who knows, you know, I don't know. If, if it feels like, if the reader feels like you don't know your own world, they're going to be a lot more suspicious, I think. But if you're like, yep, this is how it is. Um, yeah, we we live in New York and we have... Uh, Actual flying cars now. Actual flying cars for everyone. Um boy, is that a mess when you're trying to hail a cab, but that's what we have. And and you know, like, okay, well that's what we have. We're gonna have actual flying cars and and the you know, the reader will just go along with that because they're not gonna if that's just if if you're able to like present that as a given and it's just sunk in there, it's it's going to make sense. And that was not maybe the best example. No, but
1: it's good though. I'm, um, I'm trying to think of something. I was reading something recently and I can't remember what it was or I started to read it and I got distracted, which happens a lot, but it was something that I was reading and the author's note at the beginning was basically like, the mistakes are intentional. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was historically oriented. I can't I, can't, I can't pick up what it was, but the author's note was like, I did those on purpose. <laughs> Just assume anything that's wrong. It was a choice, and I'm like, that is genius. That is an amazing disclaimer right, but- to put in because then even if you do screw something up accidentally, you're covered. You're good. You're golden.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think that I think that actually you know that that fits with you know if you're gonna build the world you know like again just okay, yeah, I'm, I'm changing it. It's going to happen. You might not like it. You might think this is a bad idea. You might even think this was a mistake, but this is, you know, I am the one writing the book here. And <laughs> if you're going to write the book, write the book, mm-hmm. Ste- you know, steer, steer the ship. Um, and if you do that enough for the reader, I think that then you can make just about anything work.
3: And I think that you've said too, um, like what makes sense for the world, like what works within the world. And I think that that's key too, especially if you're playing with the real world, that like, if you do something, like introduce some element of magic or introduce you know, gosh, we have, it's the real world, but there's time travel. Like, okay, (laughs) that's cool. All these things are cool. But how does that affect the rest of the world? And why does the rest of the world still look exactly the way that it does? Like- and you either have an explanation for that and it works in and it, and it, and it makes sense. And it's like, well, because it's limited in this way or because only these people mm-hmm. know about it or because the power is hoarded like this or because, you know, like the men in black explanation of the, everyone's a memory was just erased. Who's encountered it ever. Um, right. Or you say, actually, no, I'm going to break down those walls too. And those things are changing as well. And, you know, yeah, the real world's looking even more different because of these things have changed because that's, You know, we tipped over, like we said, you know, tipped over a domino and a whole bunch more fell down. That can be the way that it goes, too. So, like, are the changes, if the changes are not made, are they, like, intentionally not made? I feel like it's a big part of it for me in the real world.
0: I feel like I have so much time, easier time, like, swallowing real world like plus fantasy plus magic because just like, and there's elves and like, that's just how it is. And that's fine. But like when a lot of times with like real world, like near future science fiction or like science fiction set in the present, it's, they will add this just game changing element of technology and nothing that like leads to it or anything, but, but nothing else is any different other than, Oh, Hey, we added this game changing bit of technology. There Michael Crichton is the worst with this because like, you know, a you have, you know, oh yeah, we just, we start with cloning dinosaurs just straight out. Like, you know, no no ramp up, just dinosaurs. But he wrote this other script from 1981 called uh, Looker, which is this movie that for all intents and purposes is set in 1981, except like they're already making like perfect digital models of humans where they like, scan them and then can like make commercials where they move around and like it's like as if like this was just a thing you could do <laughs> in 1981 <laughs>
3: With but all the components that would go into being able to do that like
0: n- nothing no, yeah nothing like, yeah. <laughs> there was no lead-up other than this is a thing we can do with computers because computers is like but can you computer
3: (laughs) because the computer yeah I know I love sometimes when you watch things that are like clearly set in our old future and it's like (laughs) so we have the technology to do this thing and like no one anticipated all of the different ways in which that same technology would be used right like Mm -hmm. you know Communications, I think, is a great example. Like, like they never anticipate the smartphone. They never anticipate us yeah. like dicking around, sending text messages to people, and stupid memes, <laughs> and ridiculous photos of our pets. Like, it, like those those levels of use within the world are never anticipated. It's always like the high level, you know, plot functioning kind of uses. <laughs> And I feel like I, I think about that, like when I'm thinking about adding magic to a world, because I'm like, OK, so like there's the plot device elements of the magic that we might be thinking about. But like, how is everyone else using it? How mm-hmm. is it engaging with everyone else's world or or technology, which I don't write as much of. But if I did, I'd be thinking what how people are going to dick around with it because
0: Cause that's what we like, do.
3: If we have the option, yeah. that's what we're going to do. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and so for for me, it was very much like, oh, okay, I'm going to have magic, but if you know about magic, you absolutely have to keep it secret, or you're going to lose your magic. And so it was very easy to be like, we're not going to see how it changes the rest of the world because it doesn't, because it can't, you know. And so it was like a it, it was it, contained. It it, you had a containment. Yes. Yes. On, yes. The, on the magic. Because, because, because that was exactly the thing. Is was thinking about. Oh, okay. Well, if people have magic in New York City, New York, New York City is going to completely lose its shit, and it's not going to look like normal New York City. Like I'm trying to write in this book, and I can't deal with that because that's two thousand pages of world building with nothing else. Um, You know. And so it was like, oh, okay. So we're going to do this, and we're going to have this big, powerful magic thing, and you literally can't see it. And even if it's happening right in front of you, even if it's affecting you, because if the magician is trying to cast it and they it and it gets out, then they're they're no longer part of this world. They're cut off. So. But
0: you you tied the yeah. secrecy to its functionality, so that that was. That was a very good choice, I think, because too often,
3: yeah, very more much. often, yeah, more often it, than yes, not. So often when it's like, just keep the secret. It's like, oh, yeah, it always but works. More often than not, like it's <laughs> the real
0: world, but with magic and or vampires and or werewolves. But it's a secret, but it's like the worst kept secret ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like the, um, the Percy Jackson series it has a great just constant uh, lampshade that it puts over everything, uh, which is the mist. Like, oh, there's a freaking Mm -hmm. Hydra on Fifth Avenue, but no one notices that. They see it as something else because the mist affects mortals. And I'm like, that's great. That's brilliant. That's the perfect way to keep all these mythological crazinesses (laughs) from having a more widespread effect than, you know, Rick Riordan probably wanted to deal with in his middle grade series. Like, he doesn't want really to have to explore, like... The the geopolitical right. repercussions of, <laughs> right. of Greek and Norse gods having fights in North America like that's too much for a middle grade series. He didn't want to tell that story. He wanted to tell the story he was telling. So comes up with this great device that's just like this is why no one notices. Like they could bring down buildings and people be like, wow, that was weird. <laughs> gas gas line <laughs> explosion. Like
0: we don't usually get yep. an earthquake here.
1: <laughs> so, that's it's very strange.
2: Exactly, exactly. I
0: mean buffy would do the same thing but didn't have a specific name for it but had that sort of like people will like rationalize the like reasonable like it's like that wasn't no that was the time that those that gang on PCP attacked the school like it wasn't
2: right and that's exactly it, it and you you couldn't play with that as well as like even 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 when there were things that were like maybe somebody saw that but yeah they're gonna they're gonna explain it away you know and and I use that, you know, sort of within the world too, of you know the magicians not wanting to look at some of their darker secrets. Well, they're just going to explain it away. They're going to, you know, it has to be. Oh, we have to do this, you know, because we would rather tell ourselves a story that makes things easy than to sit with the sit with the fact that our entire reality has just upended itself.
1: Because that's a lot. And yeah, <laughs> I think I think if the last, you know three years and a couple of months have shown us anything. It's that humanity does not deal well with sudden <laughs> rapid change <laughs> yeah, to, exactly. to the
2: status quo. Tell myself a good story or go to lots and lots of therapy. Well, I'll just yeah, tell a good yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> just,
1: just <laughs> skip over the hard parts. Just, just leave. Just leave. Yeah. Out. yeah.
0: At the same time, you can, you can make the choice to just lean completely into it. That like, yeah, it's the real world and everything is like you think of it is, but magic and vampires and werewolves exist. And, that's why everything is like it. You can integrate it so fully that's like, mm-hmm. it's like would that change history? It's like, yes. no, because it's still all part of the same thing.
3: Gail Carridge, right? I think because at, because actually, Napoleon was a werewolf. Yeah. So that's just what it
1: was. <laughs> um, Gail Carriger's Parasol Protectorate series and the spinoffs, yeah. I think, do that well. Like, it's just all of these these paranormal and steampunk elements that are in those books are just completely normal. And oh, yeah, that's, of course, the British Army has werewolf brigades. Of course, obviously, that's mm-hmm. that's how they do their thing.
2: Any any quality obviously, I yeah. really wouldn't yeah.
1: go to war without one.
0: <laughs> 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 you know, everywhere was both conventional weaponry and magic at the same time, and just that's just how how it worked. You
3: know. Yeah, and I think that can be fun to play with too, because you know, everyone everyone likes an alternate version of the story, like like alternate mm-hmm. histories, like different perspectives. I think that can be kind of a fun way of playing with um both historical and contemporary like what would this look like constructed a different way like we get the same result but constructed a different way it can be a fun way to poke at how things actually are um and imagine how they could be
0: i i always love when things like that have like in addition to the manhattan project during world war ii we'll have some other like the brooklyn project which was like and this is the big magic weapon or something like that at the same mm-hmm. time I, I mean i've seen that rift on so many times but i still always get a kick out of it
3: yeah I, I i kind of have fun too with um with historical i like seeing when it's like magic was real at one point and that's why things worked out the way that they did and that's was being used and for some reason we don't have magic anymore and i kind of like mm-hmm. watching writers play with that and kind of say, okay, so. How is it that, you know, your Arthurian historical they have magic and it's gone now? Like what what happened? What changed? Um, which the
2: Protestant Reformation ruined
3: everything. Blame like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I I blamed I blame industrialization in my book. But. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Which makes perfect sense when you're talking about the Fae. Like, of course, like, right, the more exactly. iron-bound world yeah. becomes more difficult. Obviously, yeah, it makes perfect logical sense. It's just <laughs> clearly. It's, it's going to Y'all put too much iron. Ob- we're just,
0: we're obviously
1: <laughs> Yeah, we're done. Peace. Next book, Roman. I want to see fairies. fairy. It's just going, peace. Mic drop. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> when I was like, no, I will not do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that, that will not be happening. <laughs>
1: You don't want to win a sequel set in the sixties or seventies
3: and just that would be fun, actually. That would be really fun. Oh man, because you could you could play with like
0: Fairy Bargains of Woodstock.
3: You could. You could and you could play with like all the yeah. I see all kinds of because I mean early environmentalism and psychedelics all coming together.
0: Did <laughs> we just start something in dancing your brain? Fa-
3: <laughs> dancing, in a fa- dancing in a fairy dancing in a fairy range It's gonna be
0: Three weeks from now, you're going to get on here. You're I like, um, God damn you. Now I have to write this book. <laughs> 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 and
3: I emerge, I emerge a month later.
2: I wrote the book. No one will ever publish
3: it. It's ridiculous.
2: You know, no. You pitch it as Daisy Jones and the Six meets Midsummer Night's Dream, so, and it's a I'm New so, Orleans bestseller.
3: <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant.
0: No, I really want this book now, Rowena.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to put it on the back burner. When I finish the one I'm working on now, I'll get to it. <laughs> we mostly talked about magic as being like the mm-hmm. thing that we add. Um, are there any other elements that when you look at the real world, you're like, I want to play with that. You know, I want to add that. I want to remove that. I want to shake that up. I want to... You know what werewolves sound pretty good actually or
2: whatever. Um <laughs> yeah, can we like can we redo the healthcare system? <laughs> that um, is
1: a fantasy. That's yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, See, I I think for me, because I think I when I when I do my world building, for the most part, I do pretty consistently think of it as, you know, just sort of sliding something in in the corners or, or, you know, bringing something in rather than replacing or changing or something like that. So for me, that's not necessarily a question that I'm asking myself or it's not really a thing that drives me in my world building in terms of like, oh, what if I change X thing it's more like what it, it's for me it's more like where can I make room for this thing to exist mm-hmm. um, kind of thing and so you know what do I look at and, and say I could do better it's a, it's a difficult or better or different or in a more interesting way is kind of a question that I really haven't thought of in terms of craft or storytelling at this point um, not to say that I won't ever but just like I said isn't something that for now is has been a, a has been a preoccupation
3: More. How do I, how do I keep all the things I love about New York and still have? I mean, and because that's that's part
2: of that's part of the thing is that you know when I when I pick these places or something like that, like part of the reason for for choosing New York for these books in particular, part of it was is that you know I love the city. I think it's a great city, and I was like, oh okay, if I'm gonna spend you know writing a book length amount of time in a place, then I'm gonna pick a place that I enjoy. and so it was like, okay, so how do, how, how do I keep the things that I love? How do I keep it feeling like this actual city and give room for these people and this story and things like that? And it felt like a city, it felt like a place that had that room, that had those spaces where you could put that magic in And it would make sense for it to be there, you know, because I didn't want readers to sit there and be like, really, you could do that in and really, you know, I didn't want that to be I didn't want the location to be a stumbling point or, you know, a block into the story. I wanted it to be like, okay, yeah, that that does kind of make sense. I can see that happening. Let's go, you know, so it was one of those things where yes, the location mattered, but I wanted it to matter in a way that was just like, um, that it could almost be taken for granted, I guess is, is, is the best way to put it. So
3: the, the, the real world location fit the needs of the story as well as, as well as scratch your personal itch. of I want to spend time in this place. Yeah. (laughs) What what are are there, are there other places for you that are like that, that you'd like to play in
2: either that you have or that you want to someday? Not necessarily, not necessarily real world ish settings. Like I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've played around in the Arthurian mythos a couple times, but that those have tended to be like contemporary takes on it too. So, you know, I, I, I fall back on academic settings a lot because I have too many graduate <laughs> degrees. And so that was like, you know, that was my life. I, I know how this works. Um, and so that's kind of a, that, that is a kind of place that I tend to go back to. I
3: mean, absolutely. I think
2: that if you want to talk
3: about like something that readers can like, See the touch points and and layer their myth over. I think academia is a huge one for that. That's awesome.
2: It gives you a really nice calendar. It gives you structure. You know, you've got the automatic high points of the year
3: and low points. <laughs> yes.
2: yes. <laughs> Rowena has, I think, just emerged so from that, that, grading that's, that's so.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna yeah, say, like, if I, maybe we out. could
2: go back to that, what would you change thing? And it would be like some kind of magical paper grading mm. something.
0: Little grading imps that just go and read the paper yeah. for you. And...
1: Grading imps. <laughs> oh, oh, that might be that. fun because you could like ah, you could is... give oh, them
3: good instructions. They... But yes, and they but they they like grading. It's it's what it's what they mm. feed off of. Mm-hmm. They they feed off of the fumes of they red are the ink, and so they they are the <laughs> imps of judgment. <laughs> they love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be good. That would be useful. Something I find myself playing with isn't isn't necessarily like an element of the world that I want to change, but I love looking at history and looking for points where the world could have changed. Like those moments of intense mm, pressure mm-hmm. or complete serendipity that could have had cascade effects. One that I think about, it was the seed of an idea from like 15 years ago that i never got anywhere with because i had characters in a setting but no plot which is often a problem i have but the the seed for like the what made it struggle. it really is the the seed for the alternate reality was this weird historical detail i picked up about the battle of baltimore during the war of 1812 and that there was um baltimore almost fell and it would have done because a shell landed In the armory with all the gunpowder and stuff of the fort, but it had rained. And so the bomb did, the, the shell didn't go off, but like if it had Baltimore would have fallen and possibly the entire track of the war of 1812 would be different. And thus the possible entire history of the American continent would be different. And so like that was a fun thought experiment right. for me like okay what happens next or like right now I've been on a big um big Saxon kick and I'm I keep thinking like man what if fled of Mercia had lived a little longer and been able to shore up her daughter's support and what if Mercia maintained itself as a matriarchal kingdom for like 500 years wouldn't that be cool like that that's it, it would yes I would to like to I once again I have no more idea about it than that but I'm like That'd be really neat. Just the, the stronghold of Mercia as a matriarchal kingdom in the midst of like everything else going on in Europe, like that'd be really interesting. It'd be really hard, but it'd
2: be really interesting. Yeah, I think I think i think anyone who has an interest in history kind of has those ideas of well, what if this, you know, we, we you know, the joke of, you know, for, for want of a for want of a horse, mm. for want of a horseshoe nail, but I think a lot of times it really is those those small things that history can turn on and so once you have something that looks like that well then you have people involved because you need to get down to the level of people for something at that level to matter and once you have people that we can care about well there's your characters okay go
3: and <laughs> it's fun too because like there's that moment of change and and mm-hmm. disruption and then there's like five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, yeah. what does it look like? What happened? What happened differently? Like, what can you imagine looks mm-hmm. different? And then I think it, it is fun too, if you're going to add, add in fantasy elements, like how did those play into it and how are they still playing into it? You know, yeah. if it was a a um, dampness cantrip that prevented the bomb from exploding, the shell from exploding in the midst
2: of the Baltimore <laughs> Armory, like what, what else what else is playing yeah. out?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And 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 why would magic or magic users or the fae or whoever it was have taken the side that they wanted to take? What did mm-hmm. they get out of history looking like this instead of looking like that?
3: So one question that I find myself struggling with a bit, actually, when I base things in the real world instead of basing them um, in a secondary world is an element of like responsibility. Like what element mm-hmm. of responsibility do I have to depict a real place um and for me especially if, if there are any real people involved like you know even even if they're fake real people <laughs> in a weird way yeah. like yeah. like the actual historical people of this time period like what responsibility do you think that there is um to for from a writer if you're going to use the real world as a playground
2: This is actually one where my thinking has done a lot of changing. um, Because when I was first starting out, and, and so like a lot of us, I came into writing largely as a reader, you know, I liked reading stories, so I wanted to tell my own kind of thing. And And I have always been a person who is curious about history and things like that. I'm a medievalist by training, you know, like all of this is just like that's part of me. And so when I would read a book that had fake real people of whatever kind, whether it was really close historical nonfiction or like Shakespeare's making a cameo somewhere again or, you know, anything like that. For me, I was just like, oh, well, this is fiction. You know, I know that this isn't, you know, this is not supposed to be true. This is, you know, Shakespeare the character, not Shakespeare the dude, you know. And and if I didn't know the person or the setting or the circumstances and I was interested in it, I'd go look it up. You know, I'd get the biography. I'd do the Wikipedia deep dive, that kind of thing. And I kind of thought everybody did that because I'm the kind of weirdo who does that all the time.
3: (laughs) wait are you telling me I, are you telling me that not, not everyone, everyone
2: does, does. That? um i i have heard that it, are, in some cases there are people who do not it is a difficult thing fascinating but yeah i know i, I mean know. It's, it's...
0: they're wrong and they're they choose to be wrong and that's that's the choice they make
2: yeah <laughs> But, you know, as as I thought about their wrongness, <laughs> and, and I realized that, you know, I can't necessarily correct that. And so, because there are, you know, and it's fine, people who aren't interested in history in that way, or who, you know, don't care, or, you know, people, somebody makes a really compelling movie, or whatever it is, and they're like, oh, well, of course this happened. I saw it on this thing that was based on a true story, and what they heard was true story instead of hearing based on. And so now I'm like, okay, so if I put somebody in my book, are they going to think that this person actually did that? You know? And and the answer is probably going to be yes. I mean, like, I wrote my first... My first novel is written in first person, and it has the fae. But, like, the first narrator is is a writer. So the first person narrator is a writer, and, you know, she has a sister, and I dedicated the book to my sister. And, like, literally no part of this book is about my life with my sister. Like, she was never going to be, like, the Tamlin sacrifice. Um, That just didn't happen. That was not part of my growing up. But, like, people would, like, ask, like, so how much of this is based on your life? And I was just, I like... I need to
1: introduce you to the concept of fiction, friends.
2: Like, <laughs> fi- fiction and fantasy yeah. fiction. Like, there were so many levels. And so I feel like if people are going to, like, in all serious ask that question, they're going to you know, or 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 come to that conclusion on their own. Like they're gonna come to that conclusion if you're writing something that looks a lot more like history too, if you know, and so I don't know what the good answer is. Yeah, it you know
3: it's tricksy. One thing that I I find myself thinking about and and realizing more and more is that like there's there's like even th- there's the intentional reading like I'm reading this thing and I learned something from this book that I believe to be true. But I think mm-hmm. that even more so there's this like biosmosis that people experience history or experience different places through mm-hmm. media so much and they they pick up these senses of what they think are true about them. And often yeah, they yeah, I think are, you're really right. are not, but it's just, it's again, the myths that we've constructed about that time or about that place or that time and place. Um, like one that I, I think, I think of a lot is, um, you know, if you watch a lot of, of period costume dramas, like mm-hmm. there are just ways that people like behave and, and the manners and all of this. And it's like almost all of it's Victorian, um, but we right. apply it earlier. Even though they didn't mm-hmm. do it earlier. And so most people think that all of these things that really come out of one particular time in history, but like for dramatic effect we've applied across the board are true across the board. I think the
1: I think the, the white wedding dress is like one of the best examples of that. Yes. Like yes. and any anything prior to that you will still see girls in white wedding dresses and it's like that was really not the thing until Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
3: I mean, have having a wedding dress period. Yeah, you just like, put on your
1: Sunday best mm-hmm. mostly. Like.
3: Yeah. You yeah. Know, you might have something new made, but you're going to keep wearing yeah. it after that. Um.
2: But yeah, no. And, things, and that's like, a great example because like it's fair. Yeah. It's it's a and that's fairly innocuous. If if we walk around thinking that everybody got you know had a white wedding dress, well, we're not really messing up something that's hugely important. But there are things that that can be a lot less gentle of misapprehensions, yeah. I guess, well, and, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and
3: I think about, I you know, how we think about other cultures and other places mm-hmm. and how yeah. much of what we know, quote unquote, <laughs> is actually what we've picked up through fictionalization of those places.
2: Exactly.
3: Um, and it's kind of like a weird, like, mm-hmm. modern orientalism of, like, picking things up on, like, Netflix and movies.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it's, it's not... Yeah, and it's not necessarily the thing that I want to think about when I'm when I'm writing a story. When I'm writing a story, I want to, you know, think about, like, what I'm doing on the page and how I can make dramatic choices and um, is my reader going to be interested. I don't necessarily want to have to pause and be like, okay, am I poisoning history if I do this? You know, I feel like sometimes it's a lot easier to be like, okay, so I want to write a book set in the Tudor court. Maybe I'll just make fake tutors and everyone will be able to tell that it's this time period and this place and these people but i will call them different names it'll be king harold the (laughs) eighth instead of king henry no one will guess (laughs) pay no attention Yeah, but you know, and I feel like sometimes that's enough. That's enough to give you the distance. And even if even if everybody knows you're setting up enough of a a barrier that they're not going to go back. And oh yeah, no, he didn't have six wives. He had seventeen of them. (laughs) Which is really far too many for any one person.
1: Really, it wouldn't have put it past him though. I mean, if the gout hadn't gotten him,
3: like I mean, okay, true. (laughs) He just (laughs) kept on
0: going. Kept going. Kept going. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs)
3: No, but but the but the rhyme works out so well right where it is. It's a good. It'd thing. Be much harder to
1: have seventeen stances of that. That'd be that'd be a lot. It really would be, <laughs> and that's that's a prime number.
3: You can't, you can't divorce, beheaded, you can't, died. You can't divide that divorced, up. Divorced, beheaded, survive. Divorced, ran away yeah, to just keep going. And ran away way. to Sweden,
1: something. And see,
2: in Sweden, no. doesn't
3: rhyme. Missing person. <laughs> <for needing.
2: laughs> divorced, beheaded. <laughs> Cried, cried. Fried? I mean, things are going to get bad.
3: Yeah. Everybody
2: so, cried. I don't he, know.
1: Yeah,
3: he was being
0: very considerate, dying when he did. So, he really
3: was. He really he was. was. <laughs> Not a moment too soon. For that. <laughs> so, a a craft question, I guess, in some ways, mm-hmm. um, like. Since since we know we're working in the real world and there's mm-hmm. we want to get it at least close to right like what are researching methods that you use or processes that you apply?
2: Um, I love books. I love them. Nonfiction <laughs> everywhere. Um, like even even for these books that were you know like I got histories of New York and you know neighborhoods and everything else and like 99 percent at least of what I read didn't show up on the page didn't really need it to write these stories but like I I am a research person and that is how I make myself comfortable before I start writing and that's what I needed to do so
3: so you're a largely dive into the long list of the library before even starting to write like
2: yeah yeah I don't and once and and once I once I start writing I usually don't go back um, and do further research unless I've had to do some very strange, change of things. I try to build up a, a, I build up the weight of the story in my head. I, I, I feel like a magpie when I write. I pick up shiny pieces and I need to have enough shiny things before I start. <laughs> um, and so all, all of that stuff happens before I sit down and, and crack open the notebook.
1: I don't know about you, my first drafts are always stuffed with too many Shiny things that I picked up while researching, mm. and I'm trying to cram in like everything I found out that I thought was cool. And it's like these are not all relevant to the story. You got to get rid of some of those. <laughs> that's why, that cool. and that's why we edit.
2: Yeah. yeah, I tend to be a pretty skeletal drafter, but yeah, like it's there's a lot of that is like the the cutscenes tend to be. Yeah, you you can't actually put that detail in. It doesn't matter. Just be happy that you know it. <laughs> But I want, or,
3: but I want to share it with everyone
2: just, just else. Like I feel like that. I tell I'm, myself that's what the, the the essays that I write around publication are for. Yeah, the cool stuff that didn't you'll, get in You'll get book. to Good mention point. it on the panel at
1: some point, you know. Just so I'm just gonna just gonna tuck mm-hmm. that fact away.
3: I will share it when the moment is right. I mean, you, you've yeah. come on this podcast. Is there anything that you just really need to share?
2: They're actually there isn't
3: i think i'm i think i'm okay you're okay but all right that was a little hold, really we'll hold space if right. you
2: think of
1: anything else you just this, this is a safe space to, to out, do whatever
0: <laughs>
1: absolutely a safe space for historical geekery always always it's true fun facts are okay. always I, welcome I,
2: I, I might need that for the next <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> always just tweet at us just you know just just tag us in something <laughs>
2: out a history I really thing. I have a fact. It just it's like really I found need this. That's the fact. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's how it we is. show friendship, you it
1: It's like a kid showing you a cool rock, it like is. we just show each other cool history really facts.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: Yes. Speaking of being absolute nerds, I feel like every <laughs> I feel like every element of fantasy like has has specific nerds that you know mm-hmm. are going to come after you if you get something wrong. Like, I think we've talked on the podcast before, about like, there's the horse people mm-hmm. and the ship people. There's the weapons people. So even in second world fantasy, like you're going to get the people who are like, Oh, no, yeah. see a wheel lock doesn't work that way. Um,
0: you're going to get the <laughs> ship people who are like, it's called a boat.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so do, it, to what extent do you do you accept the uh, the inevitability when working in the real world of someone being like, well, actually it's five kilometers from this point to that point, not
2: 3.5. It would take longer I'll to go say, there. Like, you're probably <laughs> correct. I have five noise. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing is like I am also one of the people, you know, like I was a competitive fencer for years so i am definitely a sword person um i am a medievalist i am a medieval person like i have those those things that are my things and like you don't like you you do not ever want to take me to a renaissance festival because it's like wind up cat and just watch her rant and it's a terrible (laughs) thing to do because renaissance festivals are lovely and people they make people very happy and i just i i i am not allowed to go to them (laughs) Part of me is like, okay, everybody's going to have their things. You're They're going to have their things. And it's, but it's like, it's like what we were talking about earlier, you know, you can change anything you want as long as you do it with confidence and it fits with your story. You know, if somebody is doing something confidently and it fits with their story and I can understand why they're making the choices that they're making, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, what I am experiencing is fiction that's great. I like fiction. We're just going to keep going with this. And I am not going to yell at you about how you're holding your sword like a doofus.
0: <laughs> All my mistakes are intentional. <laughs>
2: there we go. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love it. It's, it's the best disclaimer ever.
3: <laughs> there is a point, I think, at which, you know, as an author, like we we're talking about, you have a responsibility, you're going to do your best. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think that the authenticity people have a point when someone has not done their due diligence. Yeah. I, I think of the, the, you know, like Marshall, you were saying, filmed, not an Austin, Austin <laughs> show. There comes a point where it's like, you know what, you know, maybe there's a point when there's, you know, mountains behind your cornfield in Indiana or whatever <laughs> it is. And I'm kind of like, you know what, actually,
2: yeah. the authenticity can oh, yeah. have a point. So, you know, when when somebody <laughs> does like... There was something about somebody doing research and pulling up something out of like a video game how-to or something like that instead of like the actual thing of doing something. Yeah, I forget Ouch. what
1: it was. It was some like <laughs> a recipe or something, wasn't it? Like,
2: yeah. And I was just, and like, okay, yeah, you know what? That people can people have a right to be grumpy about yes. that kind of stuff. Like that is that is absolutely you know like okay if if you're if you're not doing the bare minimum if you're not checking then yeah okay that that's a little bit of a different story but like. You know, you try and and come into it with good faith. You try and come into it, or at least I do, I try and come into it assuming that the writer has done their good faith, whatever, and if they're making changes, it's because, you know, it's in fiction or whatever, you know, something like that. Like, you know lawyer shows quite often do not look like what happens in an actual courtroom because if we did actual courtroom discourse very boring boring (laughs) as hell no one would want to watch it and so we change and we let lawyers stalk around the you know the courtroom and gesture and get right up in the face of the witness and everybody is like yes yes that's of course that's how we do civilized lawyer things things." um you know and so but no one would want to watch otherwise and so yeah we we allow the changes If, however, the writer proves that they are not worthy of that trust because they keep making, you know, just obvious you didn't do your research, your cornfields are in the mountains kind of mistakes. Yeah, then
1: that's a different story. There's things that can slip through that, like you sort of said before, Kat, like they're innocuous, they're harmless. Colleen McCullough, Mm -hmm. brilliant writer, did fantastic research on the Roman Republic for um, her series Masters of Rome. And at one point has mm-hmm. Mark Anthony refer to something as pumpkin colored. And I'm like, Mark Anthony does not know what a pumpkin is. It's I such a, just and it's such a that. little thing. It yanked me out of it. But like, that's mm-hmm. not a bad faith thing on her part. That's just a slip. Like, I accidentally referred to pockets in an, an early draft. and was like, oh, you know what the Romans didn't have? They didn't have pockets. But okay. then there's bigger mm-hmm. things. Like, if I had written a Roman world that did not have people of color in it, that's not an okay yeah. slip. That's not, like, an yeah. acceptable thing. I get really angry. I'm a corset person. I'm an undergarments person when it comes to historical fashion. Mm-hmm. And, like, <laughs> that might look really pedantic. But to me, there are not. things about the way that corset tro- bad corset tropes get used that are really sexist. <laughs> like, they're really, really sexist. Yeah, they right. perpetuating yeah. sexist stereotypes. And I'm like, that's not good. You need to stop doing that. I get angry about it. So recognizing the difference between, mm-hmm. like a good faith slip that just happens and like things that it's like, Ooh, if you didn't know better, someone should have stopped you. (laughs) Like
3: some, yes. And I think, I think corsets are such an excellent example though, of that too, because it's one of those things that we quote unquote, know, Mm -hmm. And so you can tell immediately when someone has actually done the research into the society, the, the, you know, why were people wearing what they were wearing and how did that Mm -hmm. work and, and different class stuff and all of this. Based on, are they actually telling you how it was, you know, what kind of undergarments people were really wearing and what they felt like and what their purpose was Mm -hmm. and their function? Or are they just falling back on what everyone knows, quote unquote, from watching Bridgerton, which is wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Queen Charlotte did it too in the first, like, four minutes of the first episode and I was so mad. I was so mad. They're even actually wearing the right things for once, but she's still telling the same Bad corset trope jokes about it, and I'm like, writers, you need to do better. <laughs> Be better. Be do better. better.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. part of that is just a lot of a lot of writers like that's that's just the bit they know. Yeah, like, they it's, just keep it's lazy. They just keep you're going lazy. back to that. Well, it's very lazy. lazy.
3: Yes, the inverse of that one too. When people shorthand like she's an independent woman because she doesn't wear a corset. It's like again, mm-hmm. that's a bit people know, and it's like, but that none none of that works. Like it doesn't make yeah. any sense, and you just you just Telegraphed to me quite immediately that you haven't really researched this historical place. It says you don't understand.
1: You're you
0: reporting 2020s onto this previous time.
1: Exactly. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. You're
3: layering. It shows me you don't actually
1: understand yeah. the era that you're writing about, which means I, I then can't trust. Yeah the rest of what you're telling me
3: about it exactly right all of these things that yeah. i don't actually know a whole ton about like i'm gonna assume now that their characters are holding their swords like doofuses <laughs> and are calling ships boats and boats ships and it's just all over the place <laughs> yeah
2: yeah and that's exactly what you said too It's like you know because if if i'm having you know if you've if you've built that trust with me if we're going along and i firmly believe in what you're doing i will be more likely to assume that it's a pumpkin sort of error You know like it just you didn't know and i'll just keep going but if it's something that i know a lot about and i can see you're making basic level i didn't do my research mistakes i'm gonna start reading more skeptically and not just your world building i'm gonna start reading your entire book more skeptically i'm gonna be less inclined to trust your character's behavior i'm gonna wonder what you're doing with your plot and it's just gonna it's gonna continue to pull me out the whole thing is going to unravel because i don't trust that story anymore
0: so, as, as a counterpoint, just recently, somebody apparently tried to to authenticity police Neil Gaiman about him using the the term corn in something Roman. Oh, I People saw that. Were, and, yeah. and he was like, like, let me tell you about the origins of the word corn. Yes. And I put a footnote yes. in the book on this very point if you had paid attention. Mm-hmm. But no, you decided you needed to come at me instead of seeing that I did do the do- diligence. Although it's funny sometimes you will see somebody I'm, I I'm not going to specifically call out this author but the author like put in their like their end notes like these are my research books because they had gotten something that I felt they got very very wrong and in their research they like had books that I'm like did you not understand this book that was your research because if you <laughs> did you wouldn't have made this very very wrong choice i'm not going to call this person out but like it was like it's like why tell me you did this research if
3: <laughs> my students do that all the time though you know like they, they, they put it in the work cited and i'm cite like ah! no they, they they pulled a quote and they cited it but i'm like i don't know. that's that didn't read the whole thing did you <laughs> did the whole like flip through the pages, pick a quote, putting my finger down, kind of use that, moving on.
0: And I was like, but what if I just ignored that and just did the opposite (laughs) instead?
3: Yes. (laughs) Then we call it works consulted. One's One's (laughs) bibliography should not be decorative. (laughs) (laughs) decorative.
1: That's good. That's good. That is a a good pull quote.
3: quote. (laughs) Well, we are coming up on an hour, and I always have to check in before we wrap up. If there's anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about, No, I think I think that we we did a good job. This is wide
2: ranging and interesting.
3: (laughs) So our tradition on the show, Kat, is to invite our Mm -hmm. guests to give us one little piece of um, world building trivia that we can plug into the world that we are building live on air together um, on Mm -hmm. our on our non guest episodes. We tend to focus on on that a little. And so we want we want to know if you have brought us a little present.
2: I did bring you a present, and I would like to state, for the record, that I came up with this present before I realized we were going to have cat guests. (laughs) Because what I have brought you for your world is the If It Fits, I Sits box. (laughs) And what this is, is this is a box that is an attractor for any cat or cat-like creature in your world. And not only does it attract them, but it immediately changes size so that the cat fits Excellent. into the box perfectly. No matter
1: what variety of cat. It. Excellent.
2: Indeed. So, you know, if you have a, a very large sort of tiger or lion sort of cat, great. Or if you have, you know, your very small sort of teeny tiny little runt of the litter house cat, they may also fit in the sits box. Delightful. I, I, love it.
0: I, I really love the, the idea of it being tiger <laughs> cheetah sized cat that's you know, <laughs> It's yes. still, like, it's still going to fit.
1: I mean, it's gonna, we it's gonna fit. we have discussed having megafauna in our world before, so there could be, I mean, yes. really big kitties
0: Oh, yes. in the
1: elephant-sized <laughs> box. I,
0: I, I really want, I like, like an elephant-sized cat. Me too!
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in this Can world. you
1: imagine the <gasps> purr? <laughs> but, like, the rumbling, just, like, of thunder yes. coming in over the horizon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you would want it to to be a a well-behaved cat not a yes not a a mongrel sort of cat i could
1: though i could also (laughs) see them being war cats the way that you know hannibal used war elephants like we have our 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 war ella cats My kitties. I like and the it. way you trap them. Mm-hmm. It's by using the sits box. That's yes. how you. That's how you get them yes. in the first place mm-hmm. to train them.
3: That's their. So yes. you you have your your barracks, then behind it you have just ropes, ropes. <laughs> 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 it it's, it's
1: not possible. instead of stables. That's what you have. It's just a bunch of these boxes. <laughs> Perfect.
3: Perfect. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> Done. Brilliant. I love it. Kat, thank you so much for coming on and for bringing us a wonderful present.
2: Thank you for having me. This was great.
0: Hi you thanks for listening to this episode of world building for masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life this episode wraps up our fourth year of doing this show and we've enjoyed every minute of this world building journey with you next episode starts season five where we'll talk about world building highs and lows and maybe have some huge exciting announcements to make if you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, including Rowena's latest, The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, Cass's Avon Cycle, or Everything in My Meridane Saga, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as Worldbuildcast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.